Well, three weeks ago, we launched a series called Our Core. And in the series, we've been looking at how core practices like confession and forgiveness and creeds and liturgy, how these things can strengthen our faith and how they can bring us together as a congregation and unite us as a church. And today, we're going to be talking about vision. Vision. And I am so excited to be talking about vision this week. Because we are right in the thick of snow camp season as a church. Three weeks ago, we were able to offer a getaway for our women. And then two weeks ago, we had a getaway for our middle schoolers. And last weekend, we had a getaway for our preteeners. And a week from today, or a week from Friday, on Friday, um, through today, a week from today, Dan's taking the high schoolers up for a weekend just for them. And I can't begin, I can't begin to express how exciting it is to see this God-breathed vision that we've had to be able to offer experiences like these for our, our people to actually come to pass. Can't begin. I was part of the middle school and the preteen camps, and so those are the ones I can best speak to. And I was just so thrilled to see Caitlin uh, doing some vision casting. Uh, we were just coming out of breakfast, and we were about to go out for broom ball, and so people are gearing up for broom ball in the, in the lobby there at Covenant Pines between the two dining halls. And Caitlin circles up this group, and she says, do you guys know that it all started right here in this lobby? Do you know there was a time when we had a one-night overnight, and we had a couple teens, and we had some people from the worship band? It all started right there. We just had one little session in that lobby. That was our snow camp. Not long after that uh, story, I bumped into Bruce Peterson. Bruce is the former executive director of Covenant Pines, and he was up there for the weekend. And Bruce uh, pulled me aside and he said, hey, I've been hearing what's been happening with the church. And he says, I, I can't forget that day that you and I had about 10 years ago when we met at Panino's. And I was sharing, did you guys know you're part owners of a camp? And I said, really? And he told me about this camp and we talked and we dreamed. And he said, we're seeing that vision come to pass. How exciting it is to see that vision come to pass. We knew that day would come. We knew that this day would come. We knew that days that we have not yet reached are going to come. Because when God provides a vision, he provides the provision. That's what he does. God had led us to a family of churches that had a vision for camp. It had these great facilities like Covenant Pines and Adventurous Christians and Lake Beauty. God has blessed us with this small army of people who are committed to these campers, who go up with them and come back with them and love them and care for them. And welcome every one of them and help them to feel loved. Amen, says Rick. Our vision for youth camps, it involves taking fun to a whole new level. And it is so fun to see how God has given us people that can help us do that. We had a vision to make these games really epic. And so one of the things that I was thinking is, could we possibly make this game even more like a video game so that these students feel like they're stepping into a video game? And I shared that vision with Dan and um, Sam, who does a lot of our videos. Take a look at this. They put this together. This is just an intro to one of our, oh, to one of our video ga our, our games. Isn't this incredible? These are some of the characters they come across as they go out and play this game. Are you kidding me? You know, I, there's, 
There's no way with a million years I'd be able to come up with something like that. But God knew what we were going to do. He knew where we were going, and he brought people who knew how to do things like this. And we were able to step into this whole world as we played this game. Year after year, God continues to send us these amazingly gifted people who both share and contribute to an unfolding vision, an experience where we can get away and we can experience God with us and lives are changed. And I wish you could have been there for that middle school retreat when we gave this invitation on our communion service and watched it. And we wanted, we had talked about that came in with a wristband and we said that wristband represents following the crowd. And we have another wristband waiting for you if you want to follow Christ and we'll cut that old one off. They just about beat me to the chair when we gave that invitation. And then the preteen week, I wish you could have been there for that. And to see this dozen preteeners bowing and kneeling before a cross, giving their life to Christ. It was so beautiful. And I wish you could have been there when Laura and I went out to eat. We ran into one of the parents of one of the preteeners. And she came up and she said, you know what my preteen said about the camp? She said, it changed my life. It would have been one thing if those were words we used at camp. We didn't use those words at camp. She came back and said, it changed my life. If a vision is from God, that vision will come to pass. Here's a few passages that speak to that. I want to start with this one from Isaiah 46. To whom are you going to liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we might be alike. I'm God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring, listen to these words, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Here's something from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord. A song of praise is fitting. He determines the number of stars. He gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This one's from Job 12. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry out. If dry up, if he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. This one's also from Job. Job 9, his wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. If these passages accurately describe our creator, consider the implications. The one who spoke reality into existence is good. And he has good plans that can't be stopped. Even if people resist him, look at this. Proverbs 21.20 says, there is no wisdom. There is no insight. There is no plan that can succeed against the Lord. If God's purposes will prevail, even when we're at our worst, imagine if we align our lives with him and his plans and his purposes. Imagine if we could capture a God-given vision for friendships and marriages and families and careers and classrooms and businesses and neighborhoods. Imagine if we could capture visions for those things, those groups, those organizations that are aligned with God's plans and his purposes. The alternative is to chase after other dreams 
or chase after other visions. At our middle school snow camp, we introduced campers to a song called Home. It's full of great lyrics like these. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it all. All of us have seen what happens if you chase dreams that aren't God-given, right? We've all seen that. We know people that work so hard, they had a dream of, if I could only get into that crowd, if I could only get into a relationship with that person, and it wasn't part of God's vision. And they felt the pain of that later on. We all know families that just get swept up into these cultural currents, and they end up chasing after their post perfect life, right? Only to find themselves sacrificing time and money to idols that can't deliver on their promise. That is not something you want to find out too late, right? Most of us know somebody who went all in on a purchase or all in on an investment or all in on a career choice and they said, this is going to make my dreams come true. Only to find out the opposite. And a lot of us know young adults, they got into their dream school. And four years later, they came out with tens of thousands of dollars of debt that's going to take them decades to pay off. We can get these visions and we can get these dreams, but if they aren't aligned with God's good plans and his purposes, we feel that. Be careful what you wish for. Why? Just might get it all, right? Here's the question that I want to press into today, you know, and it's this. How do we discern God's will together? How do we do that? That's the one I want to press in today, and there's a place right in your notes. How do we discern God's will together? Can God redeem our mistakes? Yes, absolutely he can. But what if we could avoid the pain of regret that comes along with going down a path we never should have been on? You know, only to discover that later. So let's, what does it take? How do we discern God's will together? And what we're talking about today is a core practice. If we're not authentically seeking and following a God-given vision, why are we even meeting, right? If we are not together seeking after a God-given mission, then what is the point of even gathering? So this is core. If we get this right, we can have a point on the horizon that we can head towards together with confidence. It's a future that God himself would be working with us towards. A journey where we're growing as individuals. We're growing closer along the way. And if we get this wrong, there's all kinds of hurt that comes along with that, right? There's all kinds of ways that that can play out if we get this wrong, and none of them are good. You pick the wrong point on the horizon, you start chasing after that as a group. You find yourself working in opposition to God himself. If we don't have a common vision, then everyone gets their own visions, right? And that pulls churches apart. And one of the worst places to be is that place of uncertainty. Is this God? Is it not God? And all the doubt and confusion and stress that comes with that. Well, this morning, I want to make the case that a God-given vision doesn't begin with a visioning retreat. This message took such a different turn the more I dug into the scriptures and I really reflected on our experience. And this was one of the big aha moments. We're not going to talk really about technique at all today. Because a God-given vision doesn't begin there. 
In fact, I've served in or partnered with covenant churches and Lutheran churches and Methodist churches and Catholic churches and Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches. And I've served in or partnered with rural churches and small town churches and urban churches and suburban churches and international churches. And I've been on the leadership team of church plants and established churches and small churches and medium churches and large churches and mega churches. You know what I've found out? In every one of those situations, it is so easy to get together and to do visioning only to come away with our own plans and not to have it be something that seemed both good to the spirit and to us. And isn't that what we see in the book of Acts? It seemed good to the spirit and to us. Beginning with a visioning retreat, and I'm not trying to to downplay the importance of them. I'm just saying the order here. To begin with a vision retreat is like a farmer standing in a field and praying for a harvest without preparing the soil and planting the seeds and watering the ground and pulling up those weeds. That's where it starts. God is God. Now, for the record, before I go any further, God is God, and he doesn't always follow the same thing, you know? But here's been my experience, and here's what I see in the word. Just as there are steps that come before a harvest, I believe a God-given vision for his people usually starts with at least these four things. And there's a place to write these down. Let's start with number one. Number one is a commitment to follow Jesus. It all starts here. Do you or do you not have a commitment to follow Jesus? If you want to go this way and Jesus is going that way, you can spend as much time as you want saying, God, bless my plans. If you're going this way and he's going that way, it's not going to be a God-honoring vision. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open with me in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this chapter, it just, it, 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 these first three things we're going to talk about, they just play out as if God had given us instructions on how to do this in the, in the opening chapter of his people getting founded as a, you know, as a people. It's almost as if, right? So here we go. Let's, um, I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go with one home. Go with, go home with one. <laughs> go home with one. Absolutely free today. We keep a stack there at the, uh, the table in the back. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 1. Let's look at uh, verses 1 through 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. All right, this is the second of two first century documents that came from the same author. The author is Luke. He had a first book, which we creatively call the book of Luke. And there's this one that we call the book of Acts. Well, in that first book, that Luke refers to, this first book was about Jesus. And the language that Luke uses then in this second book as he opens it up, it's very compelling. Luke says that the first book dealt with all that Jesus began, all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, Jesus isn't finished. When he said those words, it is finished, there was one thing was finished, but his mission was continuing it wasn't done. Visioning is the art of discerning and aligning with God's ongoing activity in our world. In his first book, Luke recorded how Jesus said, follow me, follow me. It was so clear. Where's Jesus going? You could follow him, right? Just follow Jesus. 
And there were times when Jesus would get ahead of his next step. And he would say, where we're going is there. And one of the things that would be fascinating to do as individuals or with your small church is actually go through and look at what happened when Jesus would cast a vision for the future. So many times the people who he'd cast that vision to, they would say no. In fact, they would actually argue with Jesus. It's really fascinating. When Jesus would cast a vision of ultimately where he was taking people, they couldn't go there with him yet. Interesting. Interesting. Note on vision casting. Well, Lauren, I can certainly relate to that. If you know Emmanuel's story, you know that God revealed his plans for this church to others before he revealed it to us. He told others that we were going to be church planters before we were willing to be church planters. But here's what we were committed to. We were committed to following Jesus. And step by step, we followed Jesus until it became clear that that's the direction he was taking us. God was faithful. He was gracious to lead us towards his vision one step at a time. Sometimes God casts a vision for something that's going to happen many years out, and he gives it to people. Sometimes God just reveals that next step. And with a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a situation where God reveals something and it was wait? Anyone ever had that experience? Look at this. He reveals something, and the something he reveals is wait. And we see that right here. We see this in Acts chapter 1. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. They say this. Um, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days, during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Before departing, Jesus instructed his disciples to wait. There was something that needed to happen before the next steps would be revealed. And that something was this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. In our time, sometimes the Holy Spirit asks us to wait as well. And it often drives us nuts, doesn't it? We want to know where's, where's the end game here. But often even the end game, it gets revealed to us and we weren't ready for it, right? God knows what he's doing. It's been my experience, and we certainly see it in the scriptures, that before, or that, let me try that again, in our time, sometimes the Holy Spirit will ask us to wait as well. It has been my experience, and we certainly see in the scriptures that there is often learning and growing and maturing that needs to happen where we are before we're given the next point on the horizon. But here's the thing. Our waiting should not be passive, should it? Our waiting is not passive. And that brings us to number two, a commitment to prayer and scripture. If we want a God-given vision, this is essential. There needs to be a commitment to prayer and scripture. While they were waiting, while they were waiting, here's what they did. Verse 14, all of these, while they're waiting with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. What were they doing while they were waiting? They were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. And if you know the story of this church, you know that's our story too. This church was born out of prayer. It was prayer that led us to the covenant. It was prayer that led us to our name. It was prayer that led us to Chippewa. It was prayer that led us here. It was prayer that prepared us for things that happened in Juarez in 20, 
in 2010 and in 2018. It was prayer that got us through some really challenging times a few years ago. When we pray together, we access insight and power that is beyond our own. And the precedent we see in the early church is they were committed not only to prayer, but also to Scripture. They were committed to prayer and Scripture. Let's look at verses 15 through 16. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all 120. And he said, brothers, the scriptures, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, if we had more time, I would love to go down this path for a while because this is really important. Their framework for understanding everything was anchored in the scriptures. And here's that trail that would be really interesting to pursue. Here we see that they believed the same Holy Spirit that was active in their day was the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Old Testament. As best you can, mark that, because that'll be something we're going to come back to in the future. The same Holy Spirit that was active in their day was the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Old Testament. Never forget that. Well, here we see once again, Our resistance can't stop God. You know, even Judas betraying Jesus was foretold in the scriptures, wasn't it? Even that. Okay, well, one of the things we're going to work on as a church this year, I hope, is a a brand guide. And one of the things I would love to see is for us to continue to bring greater consistency across the Emmanuel footprint. You may have noticed that one of the things we try to do is when we're talking about God and using pronouns for God, like he and him and you, we try to capitalize those. It's a way of showing reverence, for God. You don't have to do this, but it's a way that we as a church try to say God is God, and we recognize that. One of the things I'd love to see is if, for us to do that consistently with the Bible as well. To capitalize the words Bible, to capitalize biblical, to capitalize scripture. To remind us this is not just another book. These words are our life. Our very life. It's one small way we can show reverence and respect for his word because when it comes to vision, how many of you know that very few things will bring clarity to God's will like knowing his word, right? He reveals so much of who he is and how he thinks and how he's acted in history. And in a culture like ours, we need this. It is so easy to get caught up in cultural currents and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. Because it's our culture, it's, it's our, the air we breathe. We can easily find ourselves aligning more with market trends, than mission. That's so easy to do. We can confuse mission and market trends. We can find ourselves becoming a church that defends behaviors that the scriptures condemn. It's so easy. And what's just as easy is to condemn others in a way that the Bible forbids. There are so many ways we can go off track. And we've got challenging years ahead. Our culture is shifting rapidly. You may have noticed that. And if we're going to respond in an authentically Christian way, a distinctly Christ-like way, we're going to need to have a deep, deep understanding of what the Bible does and doesn't say about the sanctity of life and human sexuality and wealth and compassion and politics and countless other things. Without a deep understanding of what God has already revealed in the Scripture, It is really, 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 really easy to form a vision or opinions that aren't 
God breathed. The early church was blessed, blessed to have leaders that were committed to this, committed to prayer, committed to scripture. And that brings us to number three, Christ-like leaders. Christ-like leaders. In chapter one, we see a people that are committed to following Jesus, including his command to wait. We've also seen in chapter one, they would pray together regularly and they have this deep understanding of the scriptures. Well, the narrative that we've been reading, I wish we had time to have just read everything and go by verse by verse because that narrative we've been reading, it flows right into a discussion about leadership and how they would go about selecting leaders. In this case, a replacement for Judas. Here's the kind of person they were looking for. Jumping ahead to verse 21. Okay, so one of the men who've accompanied us during the time, all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And then this passage went on to go describe a process, a process that they used to select that leader. Nothing affects a church's ability to capture and cast and pursue a God-honoring vision like the leaders they appoint. Can I get an amen? Getting our nominating committee right is vision casting. It's all linked. The early church developed processes to recognize and empower and develop godly leaders. One of the qualities we see in Acts with the leaders that they appointed These leaders prioritized prayer and the word to the point they would delegate other important responsibilities to make sure they didn't cut things short in that area. It was huge. The early church was looking for Christ-like leaders, leaders who are committed to following the teaching and example of Jesus, leaders who are committed to prayer and the word, leaders who weren't enamored by the latest trends, leaders who demonstrated exceptional integrity, leaders who were known to manage their own households well. And watch this. Watch this. It's so important. Christ-like leaders are a church's greatest asset. But leaders who forget that they aren't Christ, that is a church's greatest liability, isn't it? Can I get an amen to that? When the church leaders forget, you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. He is the head. And pastors and elders, church leaders, they are part of the body. They are part of the body. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes. The difference between God and us is that God never thinks he's us. <laughs> right? But often we're like, God told me. And really what you're saying is, I told myself. The scriptures are clear. They are clear that Christ is the head of the church. The rest of us, we are part of his body. The Bible has a whole lot of practical wisdom to help us with this regarding checks and balances and what to do when we don't agree on a path forward. One of the things that would be interesting also to, to reflect on and look at in the scriptures or talk about with your small church is this, to contrast that early church and other groups that they encountered and to see how different they were. There was a humility in that early church that stood as a stark contrast to the pride of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. The early church really listened to one another, including times when their paradigms were just being rocked. The early church was constantly exploring the scriptures and constantly seeking wisdom. The early church responded with love when they were attacked. 
And if you'd like to learn more about the process that we are trying to form here when it comes to selecting and, and um, developing leaders, the annual meeting, we'll spell that out a little bit, and then also at the Next Explore membership class in May. But what I'd like to do now as we bring today's teaching closer to a close here is I want to highlight number four, and this is so important, courageous faith. Courageous faith. A vision won't take root in a people that don't have courageous faith. I have never in my life experienced something that I could discern as a God-given vision that was easy. Can I get an amen to that? God-given visions, I just, I've never experienced one that was easy or that came quick. And that's certainly what we see in the scriptures. We're almost out of time, but you might want to write down Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1. Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua 1. The reason I encourage you to write those down is that is one of the few leadership transitions that actually worked in the Old Testament. And you see the language is so similar in those two. You see, be strong and courageous in both of those as they were having this key moment in their history. Be strong and courageous. And also the language does, because God is in this. Be strong and courageous because God is in this. It may not look like this is going where it's supposed to go or where it will go. Be strong and courageous because God is in this. Another place you could turn, you might want to write this down, is Acts 13. Acts 13, verses 13 through 52. That ended up on the cutting room floor too because of time. But in that instance, we read that the disciples, they were, quote, and this is a quote, they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit, but they were, this was happening in the face of opposition. When it looked like this thing wasn't working. They were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit because they knew this was a God-given vision. And they expected, just as Jesus promised, they expected there was going to be opposition. Smooth sailing is not always an indicator that you're heading in the right direction. In fact, the New Testament guarantees everyone who sets out to follow Jesus, you are going to face your share of storms. In Acts 20, Paul shared this with church elders in Ephesus to that leadership team. He said this, he said, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials. How I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. Except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Here's another example. Following Jesus without knowing exactly where that journey is taking you. I used to think there was something wrong with me or something wrong with us when we couldn't get that vision statement with the classic formula from X to Y by Z. We've been working on that for 11 years. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with us? But we are in great company, aren't we? Because there are times when that vision is, do you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing right now? Let's never be a church that just makes up a vision statement. Is that, are you okay with that? Let's just not make up one because we feel like we need something that sounds cooler than what we got, right? And let's also be this. Be ready to encourage one another when the going gets tough. Because it has and it will get tough. Acts 20, 24. Paul says this. I don't account my life of any value 
nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish, I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. How can pain be graceful? How can struggle be graceful? It can. Another line in one of those songs that we taught our, our middle schoolers, or we introduced our middle school school, inter, introduced our middle schoolers to, was a line, a lyric that said, the pain you feel is a different kind of pain. There's a pain that's a different kind of pain. When you have a vision for an Olympic medal, there is a pain that comes with that kind of discipline, right? And it's a very different pain, a different kind of pain than the pain of compromising on your workouts and missing that podium by just a fraction of a second. Some of us are in Dave Ramsey right now, Dave Ramsey course. And if you're trying to live like no one else right now, so you can live and give like no one else in the future, there's a pain associated with that, right? But it's such a different kind of pain than the pain of looking at your accounts and seeing how much debt you have. Or getting to retirement and going, I've got nothing. Or not being able to have an inheritance that you can leave behind to your loved ones. Isn't that a different kind of pain? It's a different kind of pain. When we're pursuing a God-given vision together, there will be struggles. There will be challenges. There will be pain. But the kind of pain that we feel can strengthen us. It can refine us. It can bring us closer together. And it can prepare us for heaven. There's a whole message around that sometime. It can prepare us for heaven Which brings us to our final talk point of the day. When God provides the vision, he provides the provision. And what I want to say is, I don't want to go down that path of it's the magical thing. God gives the vision and poof, there's the provision. Because my experience and what I see in the scriptures is most of the time, that provision comes through people. Most of the time, that provision comes through people. One of my biggest parenting mistakes, parenting mistakes, has been to do things for my kids that I should have had them doing on their own. It's often faster just to do it. But if I'm going to have a vision of the person I'm called to be as a dad, I need to do a better job of catching a grander vision. Some of you have heard me share the story of the day my sister caught a glimpse of how our dad was teaching us lessons even when we didn't know he was teaching us lessons. I grew up on a small farm One morning, my sister came downstairs, and here's what happened in her own words. She said, lately, I keep thinking of the day I came downstairs, and I found my dad in the kitchen with his arms folded across his chest and an amused expression on his face as he watched something in the field. I came to stand next to him, and I saw that my horse had escaped the pasture once again and was easily eluding my brother's attempts to capture him. Knowing that this horse was no favorite or responsibility of my brother's, true, I quickly grabbed my shoes and headed out the door. But my dad put his hand on my arm and he stopped me. He said, no, let them be. I could have called you, but I sent them out on purpose to do something that I knew would be tough. They need to learn to work together. Now, I have absolutely no memory of how my horse got back in the pasture, but I do remember watching my dad as he watched the boys, wondering how many times he stood there watching me struggle and sending me out on some character-building task. Apparently, not everything was as it seemed. My father had been watching, sometimes amused, 
but with a purpose and ready to either step in when needed or give a quick affirmation at the end. Anyone else see glimpses of our Heavenly Father in that? God provides for his vision and he often provides through his people. Let's be a church where all of us experience the joy, the joy of having skin in the game. Let's commit or recommit to following Jesus. Let's recommit to praying together and reading his word. Let's be very, very intentional about the leaders that we appoint. And let's be really, really intentional about developing leaders. And as God reveals his vision to us, let's exhibit courageous faith, expecting it's going to be hard and that's going to take all of us. This, my brothers and sisters, this is the soil in which God-breathed vision grows. Well, as we close this message today, I want to invite the worship band to come up. And this morning, we're going to close with a song that's an invitation. An invitation. We've had some great proclamation songs in the front end of the service. This is an invitation. And it's an invitation for those of you, especially that are going down a way that you're recognizing this is not the path that is God's first best for me. So let me pray and then let's, let's take this great invitation from the band. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are never too far from home where we can't turn and come back. Father, we pray that we would see ourselves in this song. We would see that there is a better way for each of us and that you're calling us to align our lives with it and that you want to help. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.